Start and end your day with the good news. The good news with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin and friends with the good news. Well, praise the Lord and God bless you today. This is Beatrice Bruno, the Drill Sergeant of Life. Our good friend Angie is not in the studio today and we miss her dearly and we just praying for her and, and her family. And But thank you all so much for tuning in today. I'm here in the studio with my sister from another mister, Donna Smith-Hetzler. Yes, Hallelujah. I had you by the hands. I missed you. I missed you. <laughs> <laughs> and my new friends, my brother from another mother, Doug, <laughs> and his wife, Leslie, my sister from another mister. Welcome today. <laughs> See, I will have y'all laughing all the time because I, I love humor. You are I fabulous. Really well, thank you so much. Fabulous. I figure there's so much going on in the world today. We need to laugh. We do. Oh. You know, after what just went on over in Manchester, oh, so, you know, so it's so, like, so okay, what what is really going on? I didn't know drill mm. sergeants could be funny. <laughs> no, oh, no, no, no. Soldiers Make back do some in push-ups. I should, yeah, I? drop and give her twenty for that. Soldiers <laughs> back in the day, I was not fun, but after reconnecting with them at after almost thirty years, they found that I am a lot of fun. But I'm still a drill sergeant. That's right. Always drill sergeant. We're going to start off today with a um, a clip, a couple of clips about. Something that you know, something when you listen to it, it's going to burn into your heart because you're going to say to yourself, Is this me? Am mm. I doing this? And Lord, please help me. Go ahead. When Ginger Sprouse came across homeless people, she would often give them something her two cents. I would say, Why don't you get a job? Or what's your problem? It made me very uncomfortable. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I've been that way my whole life. But about a year ago, Ginger, who owns a cooking school outside Houston, decided she didn't like that about herself and would at least try to change. He would stand right here on the corner. She began right there. by approaching a guy she used to see all the time on her way to work. His name is Victor Hubbard. Victor says he told Ginger how he ended up on the streets after his mother moved away and left him. He says Ginger listened to his story and went on her way. Then I couldn't get him out of my mind. And so I was like, okay, fine, I'll go back. But what really got me, this is probably after the third time I met him, he said, when are you coming back? People would come by and I was like, you know what, I have a friend named Ginger, she's she's on her way. I, I was trying to let them know. That Somebody's was, watching out for yeah, you. Yeah, I was taken care of. Wow, like yeah. I said, this will cause you to think, am I like this? Mm. And, you know, in, in marriage, when, when I, I'm looking at, at Leslie and Doug, they're um, relationship counselors. And how often in marriages do we say stuff? Because that's how we were raised. That's how mm. that's we just grew up with that meanness, that nastiness mm -hmm. in our hearts, you know. Mm. And then when we get married, it's like, well, didn't I tell you to do such and such and thus and so? Why didn't you do it? You just can't do any. And we need to stop and think, mm -hmm. wait a minute, what's. What's really going on in our hearts and our minds? Mm -hmm. Let's listen to the, the second portion of this, and then we'll come back, and we're going to talk about this today. It was a cold December night, and although Victor had food and blankets, there's only so much comfort you can pass through a car window. So Ginger did something, something the old Ginger would have never dreamed of doing. I could not leave him there. She went to her husband with a request. I asked Dean. Would it be okay with you if I went and got him? And I said, if he could just stay one night because it's raining. I had to think about it, you know. <laughs> I'm sure you did. I'm starting to recognize the slippery slope here. <laughs> yes, exactly. The honest truth is, you know, when she says, I feel compelled to help this guy, how can I say no to that? And that's how Victor Hubbard 
found his second family. Oh, yeah. He now lives with Ginger and Dean full-time. He was my favorite. <laughs> they helped him get social services and doctor's appointments, introduced him to the community, and made him part of it. Victor also works two jobs now, one at a burger joint. Yep, just like that. And another at a cooking school, where he has one of the most compassionate bosses in South Texas. There you go, looks good. Life is messy, but if you're going to love other people, you have to be willing to step into their mess. My whole life, I've wanted to avoid that. That's why I rolled the window up and didn't look. And that's why she now rolls it down <laughs> to let the blessings blow in. <laughs> okay, and then I'm, I'm going to turn the gang loose on this one, but I'm going to say this. <laughs> the, the Word of God says, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. But if you don't love yourself, how can you love your neighbor? Mm. And it, she had to obviously come around to that point where she started loving herself so that she could look past what she wanted, mm. you know, her, her paradigm mm -hmm. and see where God wanted her to love somebody. And look at how she changed around. That's mm -hmm. right. You know, mm -hmm. in marriage, I know we see this often. I, I've just started loving myself mm. the way I should. And I mean, we've been married for 26 years. I love that man, mm -hmm. but I wasn't loving myself. Mm -hmm as much as I should have. And I don't think we get that message enough mm -hmm. in True. our Christian culture mm -hmm. that it really is okay and essential to love yourself. Yes, right? yes. Take up the cross, deny yourself. There's gotta be a self there. That's right, that's right, come on. <laughs> and that is cared for and nurtured mm -hmm. and filled up, Yes. right? Yes. And of course, when you have that connection with the Lord, there's a constant resource to mm -hmm. grab love and pull Amen. it in. Mm -hmm. Amen. But to be able to love yourself so you can pour out to others, others come on, come because on. when you're hurt and you're critical of yourself guess what comes out mm. hurt and criticism towards that's right. others yeah. that's right so yes I love hearing that from you amen hurting people mm. hurt people that's right they, they do yeah. and when they're not worked through and they haven't gotten a hold of themselves mm. and found their pain mm. and released the grief and worked through their hurts in such a way that they're freed up mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and and be able to love that's how you love right that's right. to get the gunk out that's right <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Now, Donna, I know you sin. have something to say, but I, I want to hear from Doug yes. because, okay, men are different. <laughs> really? Lo lovers. <laughs> okay. Lovers. As far as loving people, loving self, mm -hmm. you know, how do you minister to men that it's okay to love your neighbor mm -hmm. and love yourself? Mm-hmm. Because that's a that's a hard thing for men. It really is. Well, it really is because I think for men, it's really very hard to be, be vulnerable. Mm. You know, we're attached to our careers, we're mm -hmm. attached to kind of external things, mm -hmm. and to look at our own heart and say, you know, what's going on there, and how can I love, mm -hmm. and what does love mean requires a different mindset for men around vulnerability and around what love is. Love is reaching out, it's caring for the brokenhearted, and it's knowing when you're brokenhearted. Yes, mm -hmm. and being willing to admit that. Yes, and work through your stuff. And I would add to this story, you know, I think that sometimes the corner we turn is when we realize that there's the potential for darkness in our heart. You know, Ooh, God, has to, God has to shape that. Mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. part of our sanctification is God coming in and, 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 and us realizing what his love really means, what his uh, salvation really means, and really owning that, you know, sometimes we just sit in anger or frustration or darkness and uh, at some level and really need Christ in our heart to really 
really reign in there. As Amen. it says in Galatians, Christ formed in you. Yes, yes. And it sounds like she turned a corner when she began to realize how uh, restricted she was and how she looked at her fellow person mm-hmm. who was suffering. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yes, now, yes. Donna, you went through something where your husband fell out of love with himself. Yes, he did. And uh, he was in shock and awe during that time because everything that he had known, his identity, like you say, Doug, is wrapped up in in his career, was mm-hmm. wrapped up in his career. And so when that was taken, he was left with the question of, well, who am I then? If I'm not a builder and I can't build homes, who am I? And this went on for three years. And I thought, I am never going to get that man back that I married. Mm -hmm. And so this is my new normal. And, you know, this is how I'm going to go forward. And I just happened to casually say something one day after breakfast. And I, I, you know, I'd been working for many years. I'm a fixer. Fix this. Fix this. <laughs> Say the right thing. I can change this. I can, I've got control of this. And I, when I finally let go and acknowledged that only God could get his, you know, David's true identity back, when I mm. finally released that, um, it was then that I had said to him nonchalantly something along the lines of, you know, I just thought you were going to ball up and die over this. And so if that's the way you're going, that's that's what we'll do, you know. And I, I was just so non-emotional about it. That's what kind of shook him up. And he's wow. like, well, why aren't you preaching at me? Or why aren't you telling me what I should do? I mean, you've just given up on me. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden he's like, you can't give up on me, you know. And so that just kind of sparked his his you know, re-entry back into in mm-hmm. his identity and, and the world and stuff. But him and I, I've got a question for you guys, because him and I, um, we have learned a lot from one another, and he is a truth guy, all about truth, you know, let's just put it out there, and kind of a bull in a china shop, and I'm like, oh, I'm the encourager. I'm like, let's talk about hope, and let's, you know, uh, you know, I don't sugarcoat things. I tell things like it is, but I do it in a way to where it's gentle, and I was reading a quote from one of my favorite authors from Anne Lamont, and she said, you don't always have to chop with the sword of truth. You can point with it, too, and so that's my question to you guys. How do we point with that that sword of truth and really um, encourage and, and strengthen our marriage? with that rather than having to speak truth or like you said you know you didn't do this and you didn't do that so what does that look like for us well you know I think about a couple things I think about delivery Mm. about how we say things and when we say things from our heart and from ourselves in a non-pointing finger Mm -hmm. way that certainly helps but I think there's also almost an art to speaking the truth with love Mm -hmm. pulling out honesty and truth but delivering it in such a way that there's compassion and mercy on the person that is going to be hit with it right right? right. and when we are delivering a message with love and with truth, they are way more likely to hear it. Their defenses are going to be softened and they're going to be able to open up their heart versus ready to defend Mm -hmm. and have retaliation or debate. Yes, good point. That's good. Mm -hmm. We read a lot in scripture about uh, truth and love and they they seem to always go hand in hand, knowledge and love. It's Mm -hmm. never just love by itself, Mm -hmm. more often than not. We read in James about wisdom, that wisdom from above is pure and peaceable. It's like the fruits of the Spirit. That's right. So I think part of how we deliver the truth is to continually desire to be shaped by God's Spirit Mm -hmm. and let His Spirit speak to us. It is the Spirit of truth. Amen. Uh, So let it speak to us, let it shape our heart, and see if that affects our delivery, how we talk to people, how we bring things up, and how we love. 
so that truth and love go hand in yes, hand. Yes, and I think there's even that space or that moment before we speak where we can be connecting up with the Lord right. and like going, okay, woo, I'm going to need some help here, <laughs> yes. right? Because I want this to go in a way that is loving. Amen. I want to be Amen. honest, but honest alone, honest can be hurtful. That's Amen. right. Mm -hmm. And yes, somebody can. can just get hurt and not hear your message. That's mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Now, Doug, I, I wonder if you would kind of role play with me for, for a moment. Um, I, I'm the wife. I'm upset. Mm -hmm. And you're the husband that wants to look at your football. Okay. <laughs> or, or golf, golf, as it were. Or golf. golf. Okay. 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 Golf is on. <laughs> Honey, I asked you to get that chore done. Why haven't you done it? Well, I plan to, but I... Well, honey, you're always planning something, but you never get it done, and I just don't understand it. And I, It ends up I have to do it all. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about your frustration, your anger. And I don't want to talk about it. I don't want... Doug, we've been married for umpteen years now, and, and you just keep telling me, don't you go therapeuting me, Doug. Okay. Or... No. <laughs> Four is right. <laughs> I just double bogeyed the whole. <laughs> That's <I think>. right. <laughs> that one went in the water. When, when do you stop listening? When do you stop listening to my rant? Mm. Well, I think you stop listening when it's repetitive over time because you haven't solved it. Okay. You haven't got at the core of, of why a wife might be angry and frustrated. She's just not, not just frustrated because you haven't taken out the garbage. Mm -hmm. There's a lot underneath that isn't getting developed in the relationship, that isn't getting solved, the energy that she probably wants around love right. and connection. Right. And so her best way of talking about connection to a guy is you aren't doing the chores. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she needs to say, you know, no, I just don't feel loved, and can we talk about that? Okay. Mm. And force okay. him to mm -hmm. develop a different language around, yes, I will empty the garbage, or no, I won't. He mm -hmm. needs to wake up and realize she's hurting somewhere. And that's hard to do when somebody's yelling at you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and see, and that's good because uh, young couples, even older couples, they need to hear that right there. Mm -hmm. They need to hear, you know, well, okay, we, we really need to just sit down and, and talk about this. What is it that you really feel it? I don't feel your love. Mm -hmm. okay. Mostly that. That's Most the often. more vulnerable conversation. You can feel pretty empowered when you're angry and frustrated and then you're just, you know, ranting at your guy or in the reverse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that isn't the heart of what's really going on with mm -hmm. you. You are hurting. You are sad. You are lonely. You are missing connection. You're needing more. Mm -hmm. And being able to soften and risk saying that to your partner mm -hmm. seems really scary, but you're more likely to get what you need right. if you can right. come from that place. And it, and it takes knowing it, too. Yes. And, yes. And, and going inward and so saying, So you're talking I, about I discernment hurt. now. Mm -hmm. You're talking Absolutely. about discernment. Mm -hmm. yeah. What's, what is going on with me? Mm -hmm. What am I missing with my guy? Sometimes that wife is just never heard or doesn't feel heard. Mm -hmm. And that's so important to have a relationship where you figure out how to hear each other mm -hmm. at multiple levels. Yeah. Not just is it the garbage, but you know, what do you, what's going on underneath and mm -hmm. learning as couples. I'd love to teach young couples this, that mm -hmm. pay attention to your conversations because more is being said than you probably think. Mm -hmm. and, and drill mm -hmm. down and figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. Now see, I like what you said just now. More is being said than what you think mm -hmm. because it's those things that's not said mm -hmm. that actually um, have a little bit more of a stronghold on marriages mm -hmm. than those things that are said. 
Because couples don't, we, we don't grow up learning how to say those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most of us anyway. That's right. Maybe you Come were blessed on. and did, but no. mm-hmm. not in my home. So okay. there's no role models really necessarily. So you don't know how to talk authentically. It's mm-hmm. a language. Mm-hmm. It's a dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's a way of being with somebody. And it, it's a skill. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Have to learn. And, and for most of us, being okay with the fact that it's okay to have needs. Okay. It never goes away. We always need to be seen, heard, and known mm-hmm. and loved. Those start from birth and they go to the That's rest right. of our lives. And so when those are met for men and women, then you feel acknowledged, you feel loved, you feel connected. But so many of us, and you know, I've had my own journey with it, is it's okay to have needs, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. ask for what you want, right. to be vulnerable. It can be scary at first, but it is essential. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really love what you all are saying. And let's just take a moment. Tell us about your business, your ministry if you will, and and how people can get in touch with you. And tell us about the book you um, I've heard about from you too. Sure. Well, we've been in practice for a number of years combined together. I think it's over 60. So, wow. you know, I think the, the idea of ministry is just part of what has shaped our heart over the years. We love helping couples. We've gotten better and better at it Amen. because we feel like God's anointed us to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we feel his presence in our in our practice. So it's more than just a, a therapy, mentoring, coaching practice. Mm-hmm. It's really, we don't believe anybody comes into our office coincidentally. Mm-hmm. So we love that. We're in Lone Tree. Uh, our, our book is called Amazing Intimacy, Create a Spectacular Marriage in and out of the bedroom. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. And uh, we're in Lone Tree. Mm-hmm. Our, our our website's authenticandtrue.com because we believe in authenticity, but you can never violate the truth. Amen. And Amen. get anywhere. It always wins because God always wins. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. That's good. That's Thanks, really love. good. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the young person. I, I spoke with a, a young lady. This was several months ago, and she was going through, and she said, we've been married for three years, and I'm just sick of him already, and I don't think we're going to make it. I just, I just want to leave him. What do you tell that young woman when she comes to your office? Well, I tell something uh, almost consistently, which is it starts out and we're really in love and the feelings are flying high and we think it's always going to stay like that. And when it doesn't, oftentimes, if there isn't enough maturity of self, it is disillusioning. Mm. And there is a point when it just becomes real and the, all the high flying feelings are diminished. And then we go, now what? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And we don't often know what to do then. Right, right. And we feel like we've lost something. Mm-hmm. But really, it's the opportunity to really learn how to be in intimate and love another. Mm-hmm. But that takes growth at that point. Amen. Right. It gets Amen. frustrating. Amen. It's going to. Amen. It's going to come around again. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So right if they that. find themselves like Beatrice's friend here that mm-hmm. finds herself in that spot, would you suggest that she individually gets counseling first so she can find some maturity or some things about herself first? Or I like to, I like to see a couple first okay. and then make okay. a, d- a discernment about mm-hmm. who needs to kind of work personally Good. or if we can work as a whole. Sometimes you can do both with all there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it depends with every couple, but okay. just the willingness to get help and reach out Amen. Says that they value their marriage. Amen. Right. That's mm-hmm. good. Right. Well, when you see the partner, you know whether or not he or she, in this case a he, values the marriage too. Yeah. Okay. So is he willing to come in? Is he feeling as desperate as she is? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they are, you know, we have a, a lot of hope in Jesus. <laughs> we can yeah. break things down incrementally and say, you know, let's get out what it is. Let's figure it out. And oftentimes that's just a great relief for couples who think the ship is sinking to mm-hmm. realize it's really not. It's there's really lifeboats not. And mm-hmm. there's a way to look at things that helps. 
And yeah. that sparks another question, and I know we're getting low on time, but quickly, can you tell a wife how to get a husband to counseling? Well, that's a, that's a tricky one. <laughs> <laughs> See, I gave you that right at the end. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think she just needs to encourage him to, to, to say, let's go work on communication. Amen. Or I, I get the men in the it. office when she says, let's work on our sex life. There you go. <laughs> you hear the car peeling out. <laughs> well, hey, thank you guys so much for coming in. You're listening to um, Angie Austin and Friends. We've been talking with Leslie and Doug at AuthenticAndTrue.com. So get in touch with them. Don't let your marriage go to the pot. Okay, so God bless y'all. We love you with the love of Jesus, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. The good news of Jesus for you in high-definition radio and streaming at 670KLTT.com. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver. Hey, this is producer Dave with the good news. You know, Angie's always talking about how much she loves YMCA of the Rockies, but I don't ever get to talk about how much I love YMCA the Rockies. YMCA the Rockies in Estes Park is located just between Estes and Rocky Mountain National Park. It is the best place. I grew up going there. I went to summer camp when I was a kid. I actually went through the leadership program. I was a camp counselor at YMCA. It is one of the best things. It shaped who I am today. It is really the ideal vacation for everyone. You can do a vacation there. You can have a reunion there. They have weddings. If you want to take your coworkers there, they have conferences. It is the most affordable thing. You don't have to leave the state to go on a really good vacation. If you just want to hang out, you can do that. Or if you want to go on an epic adventure through the mountains, you can also do that. At YMCA The Rockies, they put Christian principles into practice through programs, staff, and facilities in an environment that builds healthy spirit, mind, and body for everyone. It is so affordable. Go to ymcarockies.org for all the information you'll need. Hey, it's Angie Austin with the good news. How would you like to help people of the differently abled community just by donating the things in your house? Yes, I'm talking about ARC. And guess what? You don't even have to take them to ARC. I go there and I shop with a purpose all the time and I buy all kinds of great stuff. And it helps people with intellectual and developmental disabilities within our own community. But guess what? They'll come right to your door and pick up your stuff. I have them come about every month or two and I just put everything out of my driveway, put a little note that says ARC on it and they come right to my house and pick it up. And believe me, it makes me feel good to know that I'm helping some of my friends out in the community. So let's tell you how to do this, okay? Call 303-238-JANE. That's 303-238-5263. And they'll come right to your house and they'll pick up all your donations. And don't forget to shop at ARC. It's shopping with a purpose. I get all kinds of stuff for my kids there. Clothes, sporting equipment, boots, gloves, baseballs, bats, basketballs, you name it. Check out arc again shopping with a purpose and they'll come pick up your items 303-238-JANE hey it's angie well two of my favorite actors are actually married and they have a wonderful family that's sarah michelle geller and freddie prince and i'm thrilled to have freddie prince with us this morning to talk about uh, you know being a great dad and other cool things welcome freddie good day to you how are you I'm well. You know, I used to work for Extra in L.A., and I interviewed you and your wife on the red carpet once. And, boy, she is just so sweet. I just recall you guys being so, I just, normal, which is nice in Hollywood, by the way. <laughs> well, that's why we stick together, I'm sure. <laughs> Love that. What's going on with you, and what's next for you? What's going on with family life? Well, I'm a full-time father, and, and I couldn't agree more with you about talking to your kids and getting the ups and downs in their life. For mm-hmm. me... I use the cooking as a distraction to get that because if my daughter's focused on cutting with a plastic knife, 
she'll answer more questions because she doesn't have time to go, nothing, fine, mm-hmm. great, mm-hmm. good, which every parent gets those one-word answers, and you're like, oh, that's a great story. Anything else happened today? No. <laughs> Are you sure? Yes. So when I can distract them with food, I get much more stories where my daughter will be like, oh, Allie and I were playing Harry Potter today in the park, and I got to be Hermione, which was so much fun, Dad, because I love being Hermione. And I'll get an entire story, whereas if I just ask her when she gets off the bus, she's like, yeah, school was good, everything's good. Like, okay, that's exciting. So I use the food as a distraction for that. As far as what's going on with us, like I said, I'm a full-time father. I always have little sneaky things going on. I'm on a really cool Star Wars cartoon called uh, Star Wars Rebels. I voice uh, Kane and Jarrus. Our fourth and final season will be this fall. Um, it's an awesome show. We have a lot of the legend characters, and the actors actually did their voices. Like our Darth Vader is James Earl Jones. Oh, our, love our it. Young, our young Lando Calrissian, when he was a young smuggler before he had his own cloud city, is Billy D. Williams. So wow. we, we got almost all the, the legend characters to voice him, and it's an awesome show. And if you like Star Wars, you should check it out. That is cool. And my kids have watched your, um, your Scooby-Doo movies a lot. Any um, has, has it been a cool transition to be doing all this voiceover work? I don't know if it was a transition. I just know at one point... I knew I just wanted to be in Los Angeles and be a dad. Yeah. And I know it's still called Hollywood, but not much films there. So <laughs> it was, voiceover work is very easy. I go, I work for, you know, six to eight hours. I get to pretend to be a Jedi. And then I come home and I'm with my kids and I can cook them dinner. We can make macaroni and cheese. We can make hamburgers. We can make whatever we want because I have the time to do it. Hey, I just uh, did an interview with uh, a bunch of like high end um, people. I talk about the regrets in their lives, and one of them was Anne Graham Lott, and you know some other well known people in in that arena. And uh, I, I one of the questions was, "What is your biggest regret? What if you had it to do all over again? What would you do?" And you're doing it already. A lot of them said, "I wish I could spend more time with my kids." So, bravo to you uh, for figuring it out so young. It's easy when you grow up without a father because all you want to be is a father. So once we had kids, like my priorities were already where they needed to be as far as family goes. And, you know, my wife and I worked very, very hard for a very long time. And we were in a position where I could be a full-time father and uh, really invest that time of, of, of effort and, and energy into the children and because of that, you know, our, our life is pretty sweet. We live in Southern California. We have two healthy babies. You know, my wife's happy. I'm happy. And we get to cook and eat together. So I'm not in Prague, you know, making a, a, a biopic on Vince McMahon, even though that would be fun. I like Vince McMahon a lot. But, <laughs> but I would rather spend time with my family. What a blessing. Right, you give um, Michelle a message, then you tell her that um, Angie Austin says you should have another kid. I will tell Sarah Michelle that you feel that way. Thank you. Give us the website where we can get more information, Freddie. You can check out my cookbook, Back to the Kitchen, at Barnes & Noble or at backtothekitchenbook.com. Excellent. Thank you so much. Have a great day. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Changing gears now, uh, let's welcome our friend Billy Hollowell with Faithwire, who's got some wonderful stories today. This one actually really caught my eye, and I've seen this, Billy, on a couple of other sites, but you've got a more in-depth God take on this one involving a porn star that broke down and begged God to show her that he was that he's real. Tell us about that. Welcome. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. This is Her name is Chrissy Outlaw, and it's funny because that's actually her real name. <laughs> People are like, wow. is that her? was that her name before she left um, pornography? No, that is her name. And 
Look, she she was a porn star, and there have been a number of these porn stars who have converted to Christianity. They've they've left the industry, and not only have they left, they've become outspoken advocates against porn, but also, you know, and it's really interesting because they do this in a very loving way and trying to love and sort of bring people out of that industry. And she's one of those people. She's got a remarkable, remarkable story of how she turned to God. Um, and she's also been very open about the sexual abuse she suffered as a child and just the bad relationship she was in. She kind of takes people through, and we have this over at Faithwire, so you can read it, but takes everybody through her journey that kind of led her to pornography and then how she ended up leaving pornography, which is a remarkable story. And it just sort of shows us that God can change anybody. And that's why I love these stories. I love seeing people go from such an extreme, you know, horrific life circumstance into um, grace and finding God. I just, I love those stories. You know, we just, uh, over the weekend, um, I had a bunch of my Christian friends over, and oddly enough, they were from for the, there for different reasons. And one is my nanny. One is one of my really good friends. It was you know came over for the whole weekend basically to help me get my house ready to sell. And then another one of as a friend who did over a decade in prison, and uh, he's at our house a couple of times a month. And uh, to see the way that his life is transformed, and uh, you know how we can quote scripture, and uh, how we. Uh, volunteers so much of his time to help others, and he works with homeless teens because Christ has so transformed his life that he's he is really a new person in Christ. So I uh, love those stories where it's so obvious that there's no other way they could have changed and gotten that peace, as in her case. And I think that many of us really need to stop judging people who do things like Chrissy Outlaw, her real name, um, because uh, you know years of abuse as a young child, uh, sexual abuse, and then she said she had an abortion as a teenager, and the aftermath of that abortion, she says, one of the most traumatic things that ever happened to her. So if she were 12 or 13, and we knew that she was suffering um, this kind of abuse, we'd have empathy for her. But all of a sudden she turns 18 and makes bad decisions and we judge her as a horrible person when in reality she just needed some help. And also, you know, shouldn't we be praying for people? And I fall into this trap too. You know, you look at celebrities, you look at the Kardashians and others, and you kind of say, oh, you know, these people, they're leading so many people in the wrong direction. And you forget to kind of pray for them and hope that, you know, maybe they could be used in a a different way. And I think it's so easy for us to judge And also to get frustrated, you know, again, rightfully so, it's fine to be frustrated, but I think we need to remember to pray for people because here you have somebody who's now going to change people's lives profoundly through her story. And, and that is a remarkable thing. I'll say it is. All right. Another one of the top trending stories of the morning involves not only Ann Coulter, but Bill Maher and Bernie Sanders defending Ann Coulter. Billy, what's up with this? You know, this is this is a really fascinating case. It's good old Berkeley again. Yeah. Um, Ann Coulter was booked to speak there for on April 27th, and basically the college said there's a major threat. We have intel telling us that there are going to be riots, and as we've seen, things get a little crazy at Berkeley when conservatives show up to speak. And so they said, "Look, we're we're going to cancel. We're going to postpone this event for April 27th." And it was organized by the College Republicans, so that's an important detail. We're going to postpone it. And you can have, you know, May 2nd or 3rd, you can come in and do it that day. And that turns out to be finals week. And during finals week, there aren't a lot of students on campus who are available to show up to an event. So it seems a little bit intentional that it was placed during finals week. Um, Now, that's what critics are saying. So 
Now, so here's the deal. Ann Coulter and the college Republicans are not going to back down. They're refusing to let the date be moved, and they're threatening to sue. Um, now, this is a public school, so we'll have to wait and see you know, how that rolls. But what's interesting, Bernie Sanders is not you – know, he's not an Ann Coulter fan, but he's basically saying – and I have to quote here – he doesn't like what's going on there. And he said, obviously, Ann Coulter's outrageous off the wall. But, you know, people have a right to give their two cents, give a speech without fear of violence and intimidation. And then you also have Bill Maher stepping up. And Bill Maher took it much, much further, used an expletive or two. Uh, he said, you know, Berkeley used to be the cradle of free speech. Um, and then he said it's a cradle for babies now. And he said he feels like this is liberals version of book burning and it's got to stop. Wow. That is that is so wild. Bernie and Bill Maher supporting her in a way. And I've seen, interestingly enough, that that happening more often where people who are on different sides of the fence actually see the point or believe in free speech and see like, wait a second, even though I don't believe I don't like what they have to say in their free speech time, uh, they still deserve to have that time. Yeah, and it really does seem like the portions of the political left in America are really struggling with this right now. And I think we're seeing it play out on college campuses. And this is, you know, look, you don't mess with Ann Coulter. She's high profile. You're going to have a major, major. It's one thing, you know, Ben Shapiro, some of the other ones who are also high profile, but they're not Ann Coulter. I think if you have a legal battle here, the school, I feel, is going to have a very hard time as a public institution justifying moving an event um, for, you know, a a Republican-led student event. So I understand the school's concern, but the bigger problem they need to address is the fact that students can't handle opposing ideas. I mean, that, that's the real issue here. That's so. the real issue. I would agree with you. That's it right in a nutshell right there. We could have saved ourselves three minutes. That was it. All right. A U.S. Senate candidate recounts how seeing an ultrasound triggered a haunting memory that he'll carry to the grave. What's this about? So this is, his name is Ed Henry. He's a state representative in Alabama. He's running for Senate. Um, you know, Congressional Senate, not State Senate. And he has shared this really very personal story, and he's been sharing it the last couple of years. Um, but this week was was talking about it again because of the Republicans' failure to defund Planned Parenthood. Um, and, and just basically sharing how when he was a young guy in 1991, he went with his girlfriend and his first child he helped, you know, facilitate an abortion for. And how much he regrets that, that this has been a scar on his soul. And he really just says it's something that, you know, he can't shake that stays with him. He tries not to focus on it too much. But, you know, in sharing that story now as somebody who's pro-life, he's really helping a lot of people, I think, cope with, A, maybe the bad decisions they've made, but B, shed light on the fact that, you know, abortion is something that obviously affects women the most, but it, but it also affects men. And we don't really talk about that very often. And so it's a very, very, I think, interesting perspective. And Look, he, he doesn't have to share this. I think the fact that he's sharing it is bold, and I think it's very helpful. I think it's interesting. His quote says, I will carry that to the grave with me, and that it should not be this easy for our children to kill their children, like in the future. You know, that I, I just think that there needs to be so much more information given to people before they make this decision. That I, I, I it's, it's too easy to do this, to just walk right in and have it done. And as, and the ramifications later, we just shared two stories where people had deep regrets after this, uh, after terminating a pregnancy. Yeah. And, and again, you know, one side will tell you, well, there are no regrets. And, you know, the, and the other side will, will tell you, you know, opposite information. I think this is a very complicated issue, but we need to stop denying the fact that there are intense emotional feelings that are accompanying 
um, this decision. It's not a small little thing that you make, you know, just this flippant um, choice that you make, whether you're a woman or a man in a relationship. And, and I think, you know, we've, we've got to get to that place of being able to talk about it. And I think when people share their stories, that's a helpful first step. And look, I would I would say people on both sides of this issue should share their stories and people should talk about it because talking about it, I think, helps us realize the more you talk, the more you realize there's a heartbeat and the more you realize that there's a life here um, at stake. And then you kind of go from there and you got to figure out where you stand on it. I would agree. All right. Last but not least, we've forgotten God. This is an article that you wrote on Faithwire about Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, it's so strange because I was looking, you know, last week was National <clears throat> Day of Prayer, and obviously it's a big event every year. And I always look to see what did the president say about God? What, did, what have past presidents said about prayer? And as I was going through, and we did sort of a top six, and you can find that over on Faithwire, of the most interesting presidential quotes about God and prayer. But I found this Abraham Lincoln <clears throat> proclamation um, that he had put out in 1863, in the middle of the Civil War, um, and it, it really just struck me. It was, it was titled Day of National Humiliation, Fasting, and Prayer. And the whole entire premise of this, it was so fascinating because society was so splintered, obviously, at the time, uh, the most in American history with the North and the South. And I thought about where we are today, and his words just resonated so much with how divided we are. And he has this line, you know, we have forgotten God. And, and I won't spoil the rest. I think people should go and check it out. But it's a, an amazing proclamation. So we did a separate story just on what Lincoln had to say um, and, and really how that applies to where we are today. That's pretty cool. Another top trending story this morning. And Billy, this has to do with a Muslim turned Christian. Yeah, this is Nabil Qureshi, and he's a well-known uh, Muslim convert to Christianity and really has been a fascinating speaker and author. Um, he wrote a book called Speaking Allah, Finding Jesus that was a bestseller. Uh, and he's a young guy, and he's got, I think, you know, a four-year-old or a three. He's got a very young daughter. She may even be younger. Um, and he was diagnosed with cancer last year, stage four stomach cancer. Uh, and again, this is like a guy in his early 30s, super young and well-known. And what's fascinating about this journey he's been on is that he's been sharing these video blogs, updating his fans, updating his readers, letting them know where things are. And, and really tragically, last week he put a video together um, basically saying he was going for his scan and it was going to be the most important scan. <clears throat> and, you know, he asked for prayer and he felt really encouraged. And then he put out uh, a video a couple days later announcing that the cancer had spread and that he wouldn't be able to have the surgery he needed. And so he's asking for prayer. And I think it's really important as Christians, we, you know, we pray for him. Um, but there's so many elements to the story that are, that are bizarre. He was diagnosed with cancer on, I think, the 11th anniversary of his conversion like on the actual day that he converted. And so um, he has said that Muslims are sort of using that as <laughs> to say, look, you know, it's kind of a punishment. Um, so there's a lot here um, at stake and a lot on the line. And he's very worried about his young daughter and not you know, wanting her not to have a father. It's a really heartbreaking story, but I would encourage people to check the video out because he's a really fascinating guy. And uh, it's amazing to see somebody sort of bear their soul at their hardest moments. Yeah. And um, reaching out to us for, for prayer, definitely. Uh We'll do that, so we'll lift him up. All right, Billy Hollowell, faithwire.com, if you want to check that story out and others. Thanks, Billy. Thank you.
Hi, it's Angie with the good news. I want to tell you about Caitlin. She's seven and she lost her mom to cancer. And we have Adam Katz on the line. And Adam has an idea of how we could help her. For $65, we can sponsor Caitlin for a session of equine therapy. And now Caitlin lost her mom, Adam. And with the Doreen Katz Memorial Cancer Foundation, you help kids like Caitlin. Tell us how it's helping her. She loves the equine therapy. You know, she always comes into the ranch very quiet. But as soon as she sees her horse, she just lights up. And for that hour, she has no care in the world. I love it. Beautiful thing to see. So for just $65, uh, we can sponsor Caitlin for one of these sessions where she gets to ride a horse and uh, work through her loss. Again, at just seven years old, she lost her mom to uh, breast cancer. The Doreen Katz Memorial Cancer Foundation helps these kids be kids. Adam Katz is my friend. I highly recommend this charity. And if you'd like to sponsor Caitlin, give Adam a call. 720-530-9482. And that is DoreenKatzMemorial.org. Thank you. Adam. Thank you, Angie. Your next shopping trip could change the lives of some very special people right here in Colorado. When you shop at ARC Thrift Stores, you'll not only save money, but you'll also give back to our community by helping people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, just like these ARC ambassadors. A lot of people, they have misconceptions about people with disabilities. A lot of them think that we can't do things that other people can do, and that's just not true. We can do what other people can do. It may take us a little bit more time to do it, but we can. We're just like any other human being. We have feelings and we have emotions, and if given the chance, we can shop. And I think that ARC has done a very good job at showing that. I like it there, and it helps me out to learn about reading off the labels and stuff. I like helping out different people, a lot of different people I help out. Find the ARC store near you at arcthrift.org. It's nonprofit, and it's a great company to work for and a great place to shop. And remember, every Saturday, you get 50% off most items in the store. Hello, it is Angie. So does tech get in the way of your world, your home, your family? Uh, We're going to talk about the tech habits changing the American home. Uh, Arlene Pelican, author and speaker, specifically wrote about this in her book, Growing Up Social, uh, Raising uh, Relational Kids in a Screen-Driven World, that she wrote with uh, her co-author, Gary Chapman, uh, who also wrote The Five Love Languages. Welcome, Arlene. Good to be here, Angie. All right. So tech habits changing the American home. Let's talk about what we can do to make sure we have a well-balanced home life and we, uh, you know, raise kids who are relational. Yeah, it's very important. You know, they did this recent study and they found that 78% of parents, almost eight out of 10, said it's harder to raise a child today than it was a generation ago. And a huge part of that is technology because the technology was not here. So there are two habits in particular that can be a bit troublesome. And one of them is the existence of the smartphone in the bedroom. Because what is happening is so many adults and children are sleeping with their smartphones smartphones and the statistics are a full seven in 10 parents say they sleep with their phone next to them. And uh, alarmingly, parents say that the kids are even more likely to take their phones into their rooms with them. So uh, more than eight in 10 parents of teens say their kids take their phone to bed. And more than seven in 10 parents of preteens, your tweens, say the same thing. And so you know what that means is that if people are texting during the night, people are waking up. If your phone is right next to you, it's probably the 
first thing you're going to look at when you wake up. And really, the first thing you do when you wake up isn't you don't want to be like, oh, let me see how many emails I have so that I can start stressing right now. You know, so you don't want that. Mm-hmm. And you don't want that for your children either. So the no. first habit to, to deal with is, you know what, let's get those phones out of the bedrooms. Let's charge them in a different room. And unless you are an emergency worker that has to be on call, you're most likely your teen uh, and your tween is not an emergency worker who needs to be on call. So the first thing is to get those phones out of the rooms. And then the second habit is video games. Is just, you know, there's the television watching, but technology uh, obviously is used in huge amount of times for video games. And it used to be that a child had to have a like a big chunk of time to go to a console, to go to a different room, set it all up and play a video game. But now since they're in our pockets, you know, any, you know, two, three minutes you have spare, any five minutes you, you can just pull it out and start playing. And then of course, so many of the video games are um, designed so that you want to play the next level, that you need to stay on, that you've got to, you know, get that challenge. And so you see video games really dominating a lot of times uh, four and 10 parents parents say their kids play video games regularly after school. And uh, in one way, that doesn't seem like that many. But if you're a parent, you know, there's a lot going on already after school. And then you think, oh, my child is spending, you know, half an hour, an hour, whatever it is playing video games. So really have that uh, uh, be mindful of how addictive in nature the the types of games your children are playing, because that's an important question to ask. And I think that by setting an example now um, with our phones and with our work computers, our, uh, our tablets, uh, that the kids are going to model our behavior. And yeah. right now, they really want my attention. And I know that I better show them now that I can tear myself away from that and pay attention yes. to them, or they won't do it for me in the next couple of right. years when they get their phones and other things, which they don't yes. have now, and many of their friends already have. And yeah. uh, for instance, also uh, t- texting and things like that, if you tell them not to do that in the car and you do it, um, right. even if you're at a stoplight, they're probably going to model your behavior behavior as well. Last night, my son wanted my husband to uh, listen to his World War II um, presentation with his little Willie's Jeep and the big board and the questions about the date that it started and all these other things. And he was was paying bills in his defense. But then when he was done, he was super tired. He worked a 14-hour day yesterday. And then my son said, yeah, dad wouldn't uh, you know, stop on his computer and watch my presentation. And I said, well, he's paying bills, but he's done now. Now you can do it, right? Right? Can't you, honey? And even though it was late and he was tired, yeah. he went to my son's room and let him go through the whole presentation. Oh. And it's hard when you're really tired, you know, let's be honest, but it means a lot to them. It's very exciting for them to get their parents' approval, particularly their father's approval in yes. this instance. Love it. All right. So uh, this is, again, uh, being aware of the tech habits that are changing the American home and to make sure that your home is still based on love and family and what's important. Yeah. All right, Arlene, where do we find you? The book is Growing Up Social, and the website is ArlenePelican.com. Thank you, Arlene. Thank you, Angie. Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com.